Church, you can have a seat. My name's Eric Ashley, and I'm honored to be the pastor here at Grace, and welcome to worship. It's great to be with you. Our, our mission here at Grace is to create a community where all people can experience God's transforming grace, and it's good to be in the house of the Lord on this worshipful Sunday morning. Hopefully everyone got a bulletin, and when you came in, there's lots of stuff going on each and every week. It seems like there's more and more stuff, so make sure you're checking that out. You have a Connect card you can fill out. Uh, to register your attendance, to get information about different ministries, and you can also submit prayer requests that the staff and others would be honored to be praying for. If you're digitally minded, you can do all that on your smartphone at mygraceumc.com and uh, go to worship services, and all of that information is right there. Fill out your Connect card, submit prayer requests, and you can even give online. And it has all the different announcements that are have any bearing for this week as well. So... This week, frankly, we're, we're tackling a scripture that is just about every pastor's, every preacher's nightmare. It would be just nice. We'd like to roll over this one. There's some really great stories before this one in Luke, some really great stories after it, but today, it's this one. You know, in, in our world today, we, we have a way of seeing certain people that are, that are blessed or not or perhaps even being cursed. You think about it, you know, you, you sometimes see the, the bumper sticker, hashtag blessed, on the back of a really nice car, right? You know, like the back of an Escalade or a Navigator or, you know, Suburban or something like that. And never quite see a blessed hashtag on the back of like a 95 Dodge Caravan that has one window held up by duct tape and the bumper held on by bungee cords, right? I had one of those vans, by the way. It was really fun to drive because it really embarrassed the kids, actually. And then it had 55 air, of course, as well. But you never see that on the back of those kind of cars. And this is not very different from, from the very first century viewpoint. People who were well-off, well-fed, happy, well-liked, were seen as being blessed by God and thus embraced by society while others who were poor and hungry and sad and mournful and, and hated were thought to be rejected by God and, and likewise rejected by society. Today the world continues to see certain types of people as not having worth and value, even in our 21st century. Today we're going to use a couple clips from this short movie called The Butterfly Circus. Anybody seen The Butterfly Circus? You need to go home and Google the butterfly and watch all 23 minutes of the butterfly circus because it's a fantastic, fantastic movie. So we're going to take a couple clips of the beginning and the end. So it's going to be a little bit of a spoiler, but you'll need to see the in-between as well. And take a look at how our society treats some of those around us. <laughs> Come on in, ladies and gentlemen. We have the best free show in town. Mr. Pete Robinson. Heifer. She's a woman of extraordinary weight, has a peculiar appetite 
for whole chickens. Now, down this way. Painted man. His world travels can be seen on every inch of his body, from head to toe. And now, ladies and gentlemen, gathering. A perversion of nature. A man, if you could even call him that, whom God himself has turned his back upon. I give you the limbless man. got a little too close. Hey, friend. You have a good evening now. Nick Vesuvich, an Australian-born young man, plays Will, who is a sideshow act, and, and he runs into the showman, and the showman ends up having a great impression on his life. And what we've come to expect from, from the world is usually not what we see, what we, it comes from Jesus. Jesus, the God of the prophets, comes speaking and creating a new and unsettling and upsetting order. And that's what we're going to explore today in Jesus' Sermon on the Plain in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Friends, would you stand with one another and, and greet one another in the same warm way that Jesus greets us. Welcome to worship. So the first century formula could identify those whom God blessed and favored with his presence by, by their continued wealth, their continued privilege, well-being, and, and societal acceptance. While those whose lives were marked by continuous struggles, who experienced hunger, who wept and were shunned by society, were surely, surely rejected and shunned by God as well. The societal structure was understood to correspond to God's acceptance and favor. The presence and favor of God was evident in a person's life and in their reputation. But friends, the scriptures are telling us something very completely different, especially those scriptures spoken by Jesus. 
Jesus' ministry to the marginalized reveals God's solidarity and presence with those who society has forgotten. God's strength is revealed in weakness, and, and God's overabundance of riches are made known in poverty. We see, a, we see quite a bit of poverty in the Gospel of Luke. It's, it's a key concept. Luke is constantly contrasting, comparing and contrasting poverty and riches and wealth throughout his gospel. Luke, Luke gives special attention to the poor. And he speaks a good bit about, about wealth and its ability to separate us from God and to separate us from one another. If you think back a couple months when we were looking at Luke in, in the uh, Advent series, Awaiting the Already, we looked at the Gospel of Luke and the great songs that were there. Remember that? And we had Mary's Magnificat. And in Mary's Magnificat, she was elevating the role that God was going to come to comfort and to elevate and lift up the poor. And just a couple weeks ago, we were, we were in that scripture in, in Nazareth, remember, where Jesus was teaching in his home synagogue and sitting down and saying, I've come to give hope to the poor and to release the captives, set the prisoners free and give Give sight to the blind. Luke has a special affinity with the poor and the marginalized. There are also some wins, though. We do see wealthy people who, who come to Christ and in, in overcome in Luke's gospel. We see Zacchaeus in chapter 19. Zacchaeus, Jesus challenges him to... to do what is right to repay those you've, you've, you've hurt and stolen from. And he does more than enough. And, and Zacchaeus welcomes Jesus into his home, and Jesus says, salvation has come into this place today. At the end of Luke, we see Joseph of Arimathea, who provides the, the tomb for Jesus, a wealthy man who, who goes out of his way to provide the place for Jesus' burial. There are some other stumbling blocks of the rich young ruler who Jesus says, you know, you should sell everything, give, give the money to the poor, and then come follow me. And the rich young ruler decides that's not for him. But Luke is constantly providing this comparison and contrast. And, and friends, this is a tough scripture. This is a tough scripture for us. This is a tough scripture for me. I mean... You know, the, the church pays me a good salary. They provide me a beautiful home. We live in a beautiful community. We drive cars. You know, okay, I would like to have a, a newer car, a bigger car, but we have great cars that are running every day. You know, I'm wealthy. I'm rich in worldly standards. We are, most of us in this room, I dare say, are rich by worldly standards when most of the world is living well below our means. So this is a tough scripture, and I would much rather have skipped right over to a nice story of somebody being healed, but we're going to dig in and, and stay into this scripture today, Luke chapter 6, verse 17. Today I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version instead of the Common English Bible. He came down with them and stood on, level, on a level place. 
with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people, all from Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. And then he looked up. He looked up at his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of, kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what our, their ancestors did to the prophets as well. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Blessings and woes, blessings and curses would be something that the, the Israelites in the first century were very familiar with as a literary device. It, it was how the covenants were constructed in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Deuteronomy. Blessings and woes, blessings and curses. But the word blessed doesn't simply describe a state of happiness. In fact, the common English Bible, it translates it as happy are those. But blessed does not simply describe happiness or bliss. It, it refers to a theological sense of one standing before God. So if you're blessed, you have a good standing before God. If you are a curse, you have a poor standing before God. If you're woe, a poor standing. So these blessings and woe are, are not to be interpreted as any endorsement of suffering or persecution for the sake of some heavenly ward, reward that's coming or, or to be understood as a, a good ethical prescription or maybe even an impossible mandate we can't follow. They should be looked upon as a, as a direct challenge, a challenge to the disciples of the first century and for all followers of Jesus now to reorient our relationships and to reverse social, economic, and political injustices so that we can gain right standing for all in the eyes of God. They're really more like rules to live by. Luke is drawing a comparison between the life of Jesus and the life of the disciples. Here's what Jesus is like. Here's what you currently are like. And he's giving them some rules to live by. But, you know, the, the life of faith, then and now, precisely because, um, it's not easy, precisely because that it's filled with individual responsibility. It's not easy because it always comes back to what are we doing? What responsibility are we taking for our lives? 
Luke's blessings and woes boldly state to us what real commitment will mean. It's not fun. It's not fun to read. It's not fun to hear. It's not funny to, fun to study all week and figure out what you're going to say to all your friends who live in Fishhawk and enjoy our many pools and parks and cars and boats and all awesome stuff. But then I have to stand up here and say, woe to you who are rich. Not just you, but to me. It's not fun. It's not easy. And it's easy, I think, for us to deny, too, that, that we are rich. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm not that rich. You know, I, I still have struggles. And that's true. We all still have struggles. But in comparison to the rest of the world, in comparison to a lot of the United States, we are what would be defined as rich. So I want to invite you to stay in the discomfort for these next few minutes. Stay in the discomfort and, and don't give in to that, that, that exit strategy of denying that we might be part of the culture of rich. Let's explore the discomfort and, and ultimately find security in our faith and God's grace and justice that is rooted in God's delight in us and God's delight in all of creation. You know, certainly there, there are some and, and probably many among us today who are truly suffering in this place and who are part of our extended community that, that aren't able to be with us, that are truly suffering. They're, they're struggling with disease or, or fear of disease coming back. There's marriages that have fallen apart. There's marriages that are right now falling apart. There's illnesses. There's grief, anxiety, and addiction. And many times those stories don't end well. So I want to recognize that there is hurt in our community. But in reality, based on the world around us, most of, our, most of us are rich and filled and happy and well-liked. These rules to live by, the, it's, a, it's a call to action, a call to discipleship, a call to the kingdom of God which holds up different values than our world. It is a call that is possible for us individually and it is possible for us as a community to live out now not something that we have to wait for. It is possible to be lived out individually and communally now. You know, in the, in the Sermon on the Plain, it's different from the Sermon on the Mount. It's similar words, right? Blessed are, or blessed are the poor. Matthew makes it a little more spiritualized. Blessed are the poor in spirit, you know. Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness, Matthew likes to make it a little more spiritual. Luke just kind of tells you like it is. And it's not a Sermon on the Mount. In Luke's version, Jesus is on the plane. I love that. He's on the plane. Kind of like, to me, it's like, he's just going to speak plainly. He's just going to lay it right out there. No fluff. Just going to tell you like it is. And I love this one part that I saw. This captured, two things captured my attention in this scripture as I read two words, two, four words, I guess. The first one says that Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. 
He stood on level ground. Reminds me of a couple of scriptures ago. Again, when we were, we were looking at Luke during the Christmas time and we looked back to John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist said, a voice is crying out in the wilderness. This is a quote from Isaiah. A voice is crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make its path straight. And listen to this. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be leveled. So Isaiah is basically saying that it's going to create level ground. Every valley is going to be filled in, every hill and mountain is going to be leveled. So Jesus is on level ground with everyone. The disciples are there. There's crowds from Judea and Jerusalem and Sidon and Tyre and, and people from around the area where he is. Those coming to be healed and those to be taught, those coming just to see who this great man is. And they're all there on level ground, all on the same plane. And the next thing I saw was, was even more dramatic to me. The NRSV translation says that in verse 20, then he looked up at the disciples. So for all on level ground, in order for Jesus to look up at the disciples, Jesus had to be down here. Down on his knees, serving maybe healing someone, maybe consoling somebody, binding up someone's wounds. And he looks up to the disciples and he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward will be great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. You're on level ground, all people on level ground, and, and then Jesus is down in the dirt, serving and loving and caring and finding compassion and he looks up to his disciples. He looks up to the 12 who are around him, who he just chose in the previous pericope. He just chose them. And he looks up to them and says, blessed are the poor. Jesus was stooped down, serving. And he reads and gives those rules to live by. There's something subtle in an undercurrent, in, the, in a word of hope that is in this passage for the disciples and, and for us would-be followers of Jesus, as he looks at us as well. Jesus looks up at us as well and he says, I see you. You're seen by me and you're seen by God. And I see all of these folks. So Jesus, looking at the disciples, is a symbolic metaphor for the watchful eyes of God, our creator and our sustainer. The Common English Bible says it even better. I had to make the decision between talking about happier those or blessed are those, and I went with the traditional blessed, but they says this, 
Instead of he looked up at the disciples, he said he raised his eyes to the disciples. You know, their eyes made connection. Jesus saw them and he continues to see us as well. So what about this, this affinity to the poor? Why does Jesus have this affinity to the poor and Luke have this affinity to the poor? You know, they've experienced shame and fear and loneliness and hopelessness and rejection and anger and embarrassment and numbness and desperation. I think that it is because the poor and the hungry, they know the reality of their situation. They totally are dependent on God and therefore are disposed to entrust themselves to God's care and mercy. The rich, on the other hand, the rich, on the other hand, are disposed to take comfort in ourselves and in our resources, finding it more difficult to trust and to take mercy and grace that God offers. I, I, I think we, as the rich, we still try to experience, we still do experience all these feelings, these shame and fear and loneliness and desperation and hopelessness. We certainly experience all those, but the difference is that I think we try to soothe. I know I have tried to soothe them with our many resources, whether it's food or, or stuff or relationships or maybe you know drugs or alcohol. We try to soothe those by our own power rather than totally relying on God. And God asks for or indeed demands something different. God demands everything, or all. Material goods and money are part of what God expects us to give up and give over, but God wants us to give over our entire lives. The destitute and poor have nowhere to turn but God. God watches over them and blesses them abundantly in God's way, not in the way of the world. They will be filled, they will laugh, and they will inherit the kingdom of God. To be disciples is to follow in this way. To be blessed of God is to have nothing but God. So, where's the good news for the rich in this passage? Where's the good news for us? I get it. Total reliance on God, and, and if you have nothing, it's easier perhaps to do that. But where, it is, where is it for us when we go out to lunch or we go back to our homes or go out and do our activities for a day? Where is the good news for us? I think it's here that uh, Jesus came to a level place for everybody. A level place for all to make every valley to be filled in and every mountain and hill to be leveled for all people. It doesn't say just for the poor, but for all people. It's not just for the poor and the hungry and the weeping and the hated. It's, a, it's also a word of encouragement for us to others who too can have this, but we need to be prepared for what will happen when we truly follow Jesus in this way. Jesus' sermon on the plain, these wonderfully plain words, these wonderfully plain blessings move us out of our worldly complacency. 
here once again, Jesus is calling us back. Calling us back to something different. God is always reminding us that that we must empty ourselves, turn away from the ways of the world, and, and then, and only then, by God's grace, we can receive the fullness of blessings God offers to the utterly destitute, to the marginalized, and to the forgotten. God wants to offer us those blessings too. Just waiting for us. Waiting for our dependence on God. Our God is a God of those who have nothing but God. Take a look at this short clip of how Will and the showman experience this redemption. What you didn't see in there was Will discovering kind of inadvertently that he could swim, he could float, he could move on his own. But it wasn't without the help of the showman emptying part of himself into Will that Will discovered that, that Will was filled up and discovered part of himself. He was lifted up onto level ground and even elevated more. He discovered that he could do this. In our clips today, Will, we see Will poor and hungry and weeping and, and hated and rejected and, and ins- insulted. Condemned to a life as a sideshow freak for people to gawk at and to ridicule. But the showman, rich, filled, happy, loving, laughing, and well-liked. He received will. He invested in will. He, he gave to will of his riches. Not just of money, of things, but gave to us of richness of life and belief and joy. He invested in him and he lifted him up and the showman emptied part of himself in order to fill Will up, in order to bring Will to level ground. The showman leveled the playing field, raising Will's standing in the world. And one of the things I love is Will was lifted up and became rich, and Will then emptied himself and invested into that little boy who then was elevated and brought up to level ground as well. It's not about money. It's not necessarily about things. God is not, I don't know, calling us all to go home and put four sale signs in front of our house and we're all going to have a commune down here at the church, you know. It's about investing what we have, all that we have, in order to level the playing field for all. Sometimes that might be money. Many times it just means time and attention and effort. This is what Jesus is proclaiming on the Sermon on the Plain. This is what Jesus is calling his disciples to then and now. Empty yourself by filling another up, thus leveling the ground for all. So the questions for us today as we close, are we willing to help level the ground for all the disciples? 
I think we're going to, since I'm way over, we're just going to dismiss without a song. Sorry, guys. These people are hungry. Are we willing to help level the ground for all people? Are we willing to give our comfort and self give up our comfort and self-focus to be more dependent on God? Are we willing to empty part of ourselves in order to fill someone else up? Friends, that is the work of Christ. Friends, that is the work of the people called the church. And as I said before, this work will continue in this church called Grace Community no matter what the General Conference decides next week. Amen? Amen.